Welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and this is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, Jody. How are you doing? I am recovering still, but I'm still doing recover. well. That's, that's good. What's been going on with your week? Anything fun? Bed rest. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's been going on with my week, bed rest. Yeah, not exciting, but probably the best course of action. Well, I did go skiing yesterday, but... As you do. As one does when they're thinking, I am invincible and I'm feeling better. And then you realize, well, that was kind of stupid. <laughs> oh, well. Yes. Worst things have happened, right? Yes, this morning. <laughs> okay, I'm a little bit scared to unpack that. Let's not. Question. <laughs> okay, let's not. We'll, we'll leave that alone. That's for another program, perhaps. Yes. All right, Cool. Cool. So um, if anybody's listening, thank you for listening. And uh, today we're going to talk about um, acoustic guitars in the studio. Oh, is that like organic instrumentation? Organic. Yeah, there's no apps for that. Well, there probably is, but I think that's not what we're talking about today. For that, but yeah. yeah. We're not talking about those today. We're talking about acoustic guitar. Um, so we'll just dive right in, I think. And a lot of the obviously going to be a lot, lot of cross-pollination between um, recording acoustic guitars and electric guitars, like we talked about in the last episode, in the sense that you obviously want to make sure that your guitar is in good working order. Oh, I thought uh, you were like bringing in a colony of bees. Uh, that's in the advanced, uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I was thinking so, like reproductive producing for guitars. Get your mind out of the gutter, Jody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously the, the things that really shouldn't need to be said, but we're going to say it anyway, is, you know, make sure your, your guitar is intonated, reasonably fresh strings, that kind of thing. There's no rattles or hums, or at least kept to a minimum. Yeah, that can be generally helpful for good acoustic guitars. Yeah, actually, it could probably be helpful for any instrument that you're playing, right? Have it working when you get about to track. But we're talking acoustic guitars today, so that's our point, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> um, and if you're not handy with, you know, setting up a guitar and stuff yourself, uh, take it to somebody who is. Go to a good uh, luthier. Yeah. Or a repair yeah. guy, either way. Whichever way right. you want to call them. Right. And they'll be happy to do it for you. For a price, I'm uh, sure. Right. So you do a lot more acoustic guitar recording than I do. Chances um, are. Yeah. So what is your go-to technique for, for tracking acoustic guitars? Finding a guitar player that can play. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> Step one. Get a guitar player that can play. Um, no. Uh, you already am. Yeah. Say that again? I'm saying you already are a guitar player that can play that. So Some people seem to think so, so I'll I'll roll with it. Uh, Take a compliment. (laughs) No, I will not. Right. Uh, Yeah, my go-to technique is actually a combination of using microphones and direct signals, actually. It's my go-to thing. Yes. Uh, How many mics? Sometimes one, sometimes two. Yeah. Some yeah. It's it's uh depending on how sparse the arrangement is. The more sparse the arrangement, the more I like to capture it once. 
is probably the best way to say that. Bigger, wider sound type of thing? Yeah. More uh, more diversity in the sound or more complete picture of the sound is probably the best way to say it. The reason behind that is, is if you're doing, say, a guitar and vocal and it's meant to be like just that and not even for demo purposes, but for like high end, like this is what it's going to be, just a guitar and vocal. Uh, I will run two mics and a direct on that. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, where do you point those? Where do you generally place them again this is program material dependent but more often than not there will be one mic that is pointed perpendicular to the 12th fret okay and then a second mic that is going to be somewhere around pointing at the sound hole or somewhere behind the saddle area depending on how woolly and thick it needs to be and what mic is actually being used. And then, of course, there's the direct signal. So the direct signal is also running at the same time. Right. And why do you run the direct signal as well? Well, it has a lot to do with the fact that mids are generally much more clear sounding in a direct signal. Not so much the high end, because oftentimes most direct signals sound like ping pong balls slapping off water in the high end. Um, Uh But for the the lows and the low mids in that area, the the direct signal tends to do really well for me. Good. So Interesting. And then blending all three of those becomes the, the magic dance of keeping everything in phase as much as possible so that requires a guitar player that can actually perform very still like a statue almost in a way without disrupting their passionate play yeah yeah because that could be an issue can if you're moving around and you've got multiple mics well yeah um, because if you've got uh... (laughs) your mic set and they're actually in phase and all of a sudden the guitar player twists slightly to one side or the other well now you've altered the relationship between the microphones and the distance so Yeah. yeah that does become a problem right why did my chord disappear when I played that? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, those, <laughs> I twisted those are little like things. Pete Townsend going for a windup. Right. But I guess that if that is an issue for the player, um, I mean, anytime that you're miking, you're, even if it's just one mic, you're, you're risking a little bit of, of that, not necessarily phase cancellation, but, but the change of the sound. So yes. it's something to consider, uh, when you're choosing or, or uh, trying different techniques. Yeah. But, um, so when you do not only at setup time, but do you find that you're doing a lot of, um, editing for phase after the fact? Uh, well, I do one phase or one step of phase audio editing after the fact, especially in a multi-mic in a direct situation like that. Um, that and do you use then the 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 di as sort of like the gauge they go to or does that depend it depends on which signal is actually reaching the computer first sometimes it's a di and oddly enough sometimes it's one of the mics really yeah i haven't been able to determine what causes that odd situation maybe it's the length of the cable being used at the time i don't know um 
Could be. Is that ultra fast playing that you do in the cable? Can't keep up, right? <laughs> yeah. I've got my drill with the guitar pick on the end, and it needs to be super, like, precise. Right. Paul Gilbert style right. or Eddie Van Halen style or whoever does the drill bits now. Um, no, I, it's just sometimes it's odd. You, the computer sometimes gets the direct signal first. Sometimes the mic signal comes in sooner. And it could maybe just be the combination of of what's being used on the input. I'm not sure. Right. Well, actually, right. I should be sure. It is stuff that's being used on the input. If there's a lot more stuff on one chain than the other going on in the input, that creates a slight bit more delay. Right. So, and that's why it's, 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 it's minute stuff. And then after it's recorded in doing that, I use a delay plugin from Eventide that is called Precision Time Aligned, I believe is the name of it. And that allows me to put the, the plugin on whatever track is behind and actually shift it or I can put it on a track that's ahead and shift it behind or, or I, vice versa um, and, and allow it to line it up. And the reason why I like to use that one is it's actually – it goes to a 64th of a second or something like that, which is higher resolution than most DAWs do. Yeah. So it can do subsamples yeah. in terms of movement, which is neat. It's not – ultimately necessary on acoustic guitar but it's it's a very nice plugin and it gets things lined up and it's amazing how much the character of the sound will change based on the face yes yeah even i've noticed that as well um especially when you're tracking drums and things like that and even the smallest things that you think wouldn't matter it actually makes a big impact larger than yes you think. yes it does it makes a huge yeah. impact so in that regard um depending on how much bass sound i want coming out then i can actually tailor the amount of phasing so to speak to happen to control the low end if needed right which yeah. is nice right so when you're going in you mentioned that you're using some sort of processing at the tracking stage yes um so when you are tracking how much are you doing as far as like eq wise um on the signal going in versus mic placement to kind of i'm assuming you get as close as you can to the mic placement first and then do any kind of necessary EQing. EQing going yeah. yeah that's the general gist the first thing i like to do is figure out what vibe does the song need that'll sure. usually dictate what kind of guitar then it's like because I have the technology, <laughs> I will choose what kind of board do I want it sound like it's running through? Do I want an SSL? Do I want a Helios? Do I want an API? Do I want a Neve? Blah, 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 blah. Um, right. So I actually like do a chain based on what a full-blown world-class recording studio would have depending upon the board that they use. And it goes from the mic to the mic pre into the channel strip from there it might get a little bit of compression and a little bit of tape saturation on the way in that way i don't have to worry about it later so i dial that sound all in up front and then of course if i'm using two mics or one mic and a direct or two mics and a direct i blend all those before i get all that set up before i actually track so that the sound is as close as possible without needing to do anything after the fact right Right. Other than the yeah. phase cancellation stuff. 
Sure. Which has to happen after you record. You can't really do that prior. Right. Um, With, you mentioned EQ and compression there. Uh, Yeah. I'm assuming, again, the amount of compression you might apply going in depends on playing style. Yeah, what type of song they're going to do? What kind of dynamics you're working on? It or do you kind of just gently smooth it out a little bit on the way in, just to ensure you won't get any unnecessary unwelcome spikes or anything like that? Or, or how? What's your thought on that? Well, again, it's it's a preference thing based on the vibe of the song. So right. if the song is mellow, I'm probably going to compress either with a Fairchild or a LA-2A. Okay. Mainly because those two give a real nice mellow compression to them. You don't have to strike them really hard and it's just catching every, you know, little things that may come out of place. If it's something mm-hmm. more rock upbeat, funky and requires a bit more attack, I'd probably go with an 1176 or a distressor uh-huh. or something of that nature that's yeah. going to be a little bit more clampy but still give a real good dynamic to the sound without making it sound smushed unless it needs to sound smushed. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you should probably mention that that you're talking about emulations here because somebody before somebody comes and breaks into your house looking for a fair shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. These are all plugins yeah. that are a part of the universal audio system that I have. Right. So, yeah, this isn't like the real vintage gear of that nature. And no, it wouldn't be fun to have somebody where, where's that fair child? Does he keep it in a safe or something? And if I have right, one, I, I can might. find it. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, but, that, but that's interesting. And a common theme with um, the next couple of podcasts here that we do when we're talking about different uh, instrumentation and how to, to track them, so much obviously is dependent on the material of well what yeah the kind of song and what kind of vibe that kind of thing yeah yeah, um, yeah. I, I i'm not one of those producer types or even one of those writing and composing types that sticks to one thing right you know, i might be right. working no, on a hip-hop I mean, track one day a country track another day a metal track another day after that a pop track and then you know an americana track it, it's it depends on the sound that you're working on that you need to, right to know your gear well enough to know what what it is and sure. what it can do for what sounds you want. Yeah. So and that's when, very depend I mean acoustic guitars are real easy to mess up and they're also real, you know, it, it's one of those things that is very it's, the organic nature of it is one of those things that you really have to know what you're doing when it comes to that to get an awesome sound out of it. Right. But I think also the the fact of it is that most people have heard an acoustic guitar, you know, so yeah. it, it's one. It doesn't mean that they doesn't know how it gets recorded. No, that, no, <laughs> that, but that, that was not going to be my point, but, but the, it's such an organic thing that I think um, you, if there are certain little imperfections in that, depending on the song, it, uh, I think it's something that, uh, the ear can sort of like compensate for or forgive for that because it's, oh, sure. it's an acoustic guitar. I know what that sounds like. Um, so um, where do we go? Yeah. So one thing I wanted to go back to, you, you mentioned you had the EQ and all the, but your miking techniques. Yes. Um, let's say that first off there, 
your your acoustic guitar may not have an internal pickup, so there is no DI, and you only have one microphone. Yes. Um, again, we're painting with broad strokes here. Here's a broad but, paint stroke. Here's a single mic right here. Let's oh. see it. Ooh, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? It's a Telefunken MD1A. Or no, it's not. That's, Telefunken doesn't make the MD1A. Telefunken makes the M80 and the M81, and this happens to be an M81. So Okay. So that that let's say that you have nice dynamic that, mic. or you just have... Let's say that you own a 57 or a 58. I do. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I know you do, but let's say, let's pretend for a second that the person that might listen to this, they have, I don't have um, C12 or I don't have a Neumann, whatever. So how would you go about first just miking it up? Because, I mean, there's the old joke, how do you mic something? Like, well, I don't know. Get a mic and point it toward the instrument, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> the easiest but, way to try it. <laughs> right. So where would you sort of aim? Because I think a common thing is to just kind of, okay, well, I'll just kind of point it at the sound hole. But that's not necessarily the best result, is it? Well, it depends on how, what the mic type is and how well it picks certain things up. Again, that's a whole dependent thing. Uh, sure. Generally speaking, with a dynamic mic, most often I point it at the 12th fret perpendicular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like a 45 degree like angle. This, it will know. Yeah. Oh, you so actually go a 90 degree 90, angle. Right at, right at the 12th fret. Yeah. Okay. Uh, main reason for that is, is you're going to get a good range on it without it sounding overly woolly in the low end, without it sounding overly bright on the top end. Because right. you're not trying to accentuate anything other than catching kind of, a, you know, I don't, I don't know where the 12th fret thing came from, but it's a common thing to point 90 degrees right, right. at the 12th fret. Well, it's the so middle of the string. It is kind of the so, middle of the yeah. string. Or at least it's supposed say, to be if the math yeah. is correct. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's the middle of the string. So, um, But also I think it's that, that balance between when you get that the fretted note and you're not just getting, you know, either the pick attack and the, and the scratching of the pick or anything like that that might just poke out or you might get too boomy or something like that. So yep. I guess we can recommend that the 12th fret theory or technique is a uh, good starting point at least. It can and be then, a very good starting you point. Kind of, yeah, and then you move away or around from there. Yeah, you do um, the old Al Schmidt thing. You just keep kind of moving it, whether you turn it on an axis or if you pull it further out or back or closer in, whatever. That right. It, you just move it until that's like, that's where it is. And then you tell the guitar player, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> Play like right. that from right there as much yeah. as you can. Uh, right. There was one time, though, years ago, I was at a studio in Orange County. Yeah. And it was a like songwriter group talking about their production techniques and that kind of thing. And they got some girl in the group to go into the live room and put on a guitar and start playing. And the engineer, whoever he was, didn't have a super firm grasp. And they were trying to mic it up and show everybody, hey, this is how you do it. And everybody's kind of in the control room going – this sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. So whatever he was doing, he wasn't getting it right. And at one point, I just made the suggestion, why don't we take the mic, put it behind the body, and point it up towards the neck? 
because yeah. it just struck me as like, well, they're trying to get this particular sound and they're getting nowhere near it. So what they did is they had the person go out, they stuck the mic behind her strumming arm and pointed it up towards the, up towards the neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all went back into the control room and all of a sudden, bingo, the sound was there and everybody's like, Hey, that sounds really damn good. And the engineer <laughs> guy turns the next to me and he's, what, what made you think of that? And I said, well, you were trying to get some stuff and this mic wasn't working for you. And I was just thinking, how do I capture all those sounds down the length of the instrument like that? And right. I made the suggestion and it would happen to be a fortunately good suggestion that worked out for that particular situation and setup that they were trying to do. So sometimes you just have to think it through of like, what am I trying to capture here? And will this mic capture it if I do certain things? Because there's certain mics, like if I did that with an MD-1A and take it, took it from the back and pointed it up down towards the neck across the length of the body, it might sound overly woolly. And lose a lot of like the upper mids and everything doing that just because it's a dark mic and it's going to really accentuate the low ends that it's sitting next to. Whereas if I had a PCM mic from Radio Shack, I might be able to just stick it with some tape straight to the body of the guitar. Maybe. And it might sound brilliant that way, but that's just, that's, it's dependent upon the mic, the room that you're in and everything else that's going on. You have to listen. It's that Al Schmidt concept. Yeah. Move the mic until it sounds good. Right. Yeah. There's no, I mean, there's good starting points, but then obviously one shouldn't be so set in the ways like, this is how I always do. If it doesn't work, then try something different. You might stumble upon something like which I have done. I have done that very recently. I have a nylon string guitar and I also have Mm -hmm. this fancy little device that's like a little mic stand that comes up about, I don't know, foot, foot and a half, maybe maximum off the ground. Generally meant for miking guitar cabinets, I think, or kick drums and that kind of thing. I was recording a Spanish-y guitar from a nylon string guitar. And I thought, man, this just sounds not the way I want it to. How do I get this more Spanish-y sound as you got another player. <laughs> I got to go like make, make some fr- some Spanish fried rice and throw it at the guitar or something. I don't know. Um, that's a part of that definition of, of wordology that producers have to understand from an artist of like, I need it to sound more blue. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you try to figure that out. I needed it to sound more Spanishy in a way and a little bit more lo-fi. So I took a dynamic mic, stuck it on that, short little stand on the floor and pointed it 45 degrees up at the neck around, I think, I think I pointed it right at where the neck joint met the, the guitar body. And it ended up, it was like all of a sudden, bingo, there it is. The sound that I was like, Oh, there it is. And it sounded great. Single mic, no direct, just a single mic on that one. Right. And And it worked out great. Cool. Well, yeah. Experimentation is good. I mean, I've heard of another one. I don't think I've ever tried this one personally, but um, the technique would be to actually mic around the player's ear. Right yeah, you, you mentioned that to me before. I've not actually done it, and I would assume that means that you're pointing the mic down at the body of the guitar. Sure. So, so the idea being there that, you know, for some players, I guess it can be a little bit jarring to kind of like when you're not – I'm used to hearing my guitar like this. And not after it's tracked. So 
Um, it could be one of those things where you essentially get players perspective on the sound. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's Pardon not, me. wouldn't be my go-to. Obviously it isn't. Well, um, I could see it but, being done if you use it as a technique to be a comfort thing in the studio, yes. not necessarily right. as part of the mix, but you set up a mic so that that's the signal that they get back at them as they're recording the other signal you're actually trying to capture. Could it Could be, be useful in a situation? Sure. Again, it depends yeah. on the vibe of the song and what it calls for in terms of the right. arrangement. But going from the ear down at the guitar just to appease a player's like mental stability in, in the performance might be a, a good thing. Right. Yeah. Sounds like something Eric Valentine would do to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite possible. Uh, Eric being right. one of those amazing producers and mix engineers as it is. Right. Right. So – uh, we talked a little bit about different techniques, um, obviously, depending on what microphones you have, what to use. But what do you think are some benefits and drawbacks of either just DIing or just miking? Uh, I don't know if there's necessarily drawbacks. I guess uh, it comes down to what does that song need? What does that arrangement need? And can you right. supply it with what you have? If you can't supply it with what you have, then no matter what you do, it's going to be a disaster. Well, not a disaster. It's just going to be difficult. Yeah. And one thing I've started doing with the direct signals that is relatively new is that after it's recorded, I run it through an OceanWay plugin. Being oh, the, the, the Ocean the Way room thing, the room yeah. thing from Ocean Way, or I might try another room simulator type thing to run the direct signal through. But the nice thing about the Ocean Way one is that you can re-mic, so to speak. So you can choose what mic is is go, that sound source going through, not just being a reverb, but being the source of what it's going through as well. And that actually takes that direct signal and almost turns it into what sounds like a mic signal in a sense. So if you were to do that, just out of curiosity, um, would you use that completely wet then? Or would oh, yeah, you yeah, still 100% have... wet. Yeah. If, I, okay. if I'm going to run it through the OceanWay plug-in as a remic and kind of get a different vibe for a room sound on it, I am, I am yeah. 100% so you, wet. You, right. So you think it, it's not in addition to, it's instead of you're essentially yes. replacing it. Replacing okay. it gotcha. with, with yeah. what would be, with, uh, it's almost like remiking a guitar amp. Right. Yeah. Similar concept. Similar yeah. concept, but you're doing it with mm. an acoustic direct signal. And right. that's sometimes I do, I do it a lot more now than I used to. I used to actually just blend in the direct signal with the mic signal to, not for the high end. Usually I'd roll the high end off because, again, it was like those signals tend to be like ping pong balls slapping off water. Right. And yeah. you, you generally don't necessarily want that, but you want all the other warmth that can come in from the direct signal. And you just blend it in to the mic signal and the mic gets you all the air and everything else, hopefully. And then the direct signal gets you the real intimate right in your ear hole sound. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I guess that that would be one of the drawbacks if you only are able to do a DI where you're stuck with whatever that guitar sounds like. Unless you can run it through something like Ocean Way. Yeah, unless you have that option, right? But but, um, I guess a a benefit of just DIing would be if you're, let's say if you're in a bedroom somewhere and it's the middle of the night or you're – 
well, actually, the time of day doesn't really matter, but let's say that there's dogs barking like there was outside my window here a minute ago. <laughs> um, but uh, where it's just, it's a noisy environment. Sure. So, and if you were Phineas and Billie Eilish, you'd just stop. You'd wait for the noise to, to go away and then you'd do it again. Well, sure. Sure. So, but um, there are workarounds of everything, obviously. And, sure. and again, it, it comes down to ultimately the gear that you have and the sound that you're trying to achieve. And you just choose to get or try to get as close as you can to that. Um, I would say, you know, when you mentioned EQing on the way in, the things to be um, cognizant of. Ooh. Extra bonus <laughs> word points for you. Once again, I'm not from your country. Um, um, but um, Pardon me. I'm still coughing up gunk. You are. You sound like you're not well over there. But Sounds like pro, I've been so smoking you, cigarettes for like 70 years, nonstop yeah. packs a day. But no, that's not the case. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, – Issues that may happen with, with low-end rumble, perhaps, or, yep. you know, overly sibilant things. And uh, so, and then, of course, one thing that we didn't even mention yet is, you know, are we playing steel string? Are we playing nylon string? I mean, you brought up your nylon string miking yep. there, but a little bit of a different technique and, and things to, to consider. Um, and also, you know, post processing i guess when you end up mixing acoustic guitar um just because it sounds great in a room depending on how it's used it might not sit very well in the track so if yep. you're using it as a layering thing which would be more of an arrangement type of a, of a podcast but um what it's doing there you might need it to do something else or, or sound in a different way so uh, if you got yeah. something well you got like a he heavier rock tune and you just wanted to kind of support the guitars and having like an aggressive sort of eighth note strumming type of a thing. Uh, maybe you don't need to worry about if it sounds super pretty by itself, uh, which is, doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't, you know, make it as good as you can, but, but consider where it's going to go in the, in the song. Yeah. Arrangement's a big thing when it comes to organic instruments. Well, it does not even organic instruments, every instruments, but so it just becomes yeah. a little bit more difficult to deal with sometimes with organic instruments. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, um, in terms of like strings though, you're mentioning the difference between nylon and steel string. Well, there's a right. chasm of difference in terms of the sonic quality of, of each string. <laughs> and you were also talking earlier before we got started about string gauges. So I'm going to say, what is your theory behind this string gauge thing if we're talking steel strings or even nylon strings for that matter? Yeah, I have a feeling that you and I are going to differ on this. But you don't say. I do say. Say um, it anyway. <laughs> well, most people fetishize using thicker strings as always sounding better fetishize right? boy that's yeah. a new word <laughs> i got another word point back yeah um yeah no um uh, and to a certain degree i think there's i think there's truth to that um and i don't think anybody's ever listened to a track and go oh that would have sounded so much better if you had played 14s or, Ooh, that, you know I'd say I that. <laughs> yeah, you would, I'm wouldn't kidding. you? But um, I think 
for me, because I have hands like a 12-year-old girl. I know. Like, no, you certainly don't. You you could probably grip a basketball. But um, so for me, I accepted uh, myself that the, the playability factor is more important than what people tell you that, oh, you have to use this string gauge. Um, that being said, one thing that can happen uh, when we're playing, uh, let's say that, for example, that I said you got that eighth note chugging thing, or if you're strumming just big, beautiful chords, if you get let your emotion get away from you a little bit and you start hitting harder and harder, if your strings are too light of a gauge, it's very easy to start bending notes out of tune. Uh, so I think that is sort of like the the determining factor for me. Like if I'm how tracking, hard you hit, yes, okay. Versus like your fretting hand, and just but just the comfort factor there. Um, I think if you're struggling to play a set of twelves, which would be like a standard gauge, don't be afraid to to go down. You know, to to elevens or maybe even tens. I've actually put tens on an acoustic guitar, which is really really light. Does that but sound depends- like strumming spaghetti? No, it does not. Um, <laughs> so it depends on what you want to do. But my only um, caution is to go if you go like really light. Is just that that depending on when you're playing and tracking, um, it's very easy to to. Um, that emotion get away and you might be fretting a little bit too hard or you're hitting too hard so that you might have to cause things to get out of tune. You're not going to like this then. Cause I am about to say, if you can't let your emotions get into the music because it's going to send it out of tune, how good is that? <laughs> well, but that's what I'm saying. That, that's the gonna, balance, right? Yeah. No, but, but that's, but that's a very valid point, right? The more you, you get to track and do things like that, but if you can't play a certain part because your strings are too heavy, uh, you, you have to find that that you know that that uh, the balance. Yeah, so I, just I thought don't of think Spinal Tap. If you can't play the part, it must be your yeah. girlfriend or your boyfriend. Yeah, so I know the part. Well, if you knew the plot, you fucking play it, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so many great quotes in that movie. Uh, so, sounding like it's a thin line between. Stupid and clever here. Yes. See, like what I did there. Um, find the right string gauge. Don't play something just because you you think that oh, the thicker the string is going to be, the better it's going to sound because I don't think that's the case. Again, it's an arrangement thing. Apparently, it's also nope. an emotional thing too. <laughs> well, but, but if you – yeah, I know. But, but um, I don't <coughs> think it's an arrangement thing in that case. It, it's – the, what allows you to play the part the best, that's the kind of string. It, it's not going to sound better if you're playing on 13s as opposed to 12s. It, it's just not. So, But if you're like Uncle Jody here, have lumberjack hands, right, <laughs> and uh, big strong claws, um, you get away with it. And there's, there's that being said, those are, there's no benefit of going lighter than you're comfortable with. Not really. So, no. Yeah. So have the playability factor be the determining um, point that you want to do when you choose those. I don't think uh, you necessarily have to go super heavy. Yeah. Make it playable. Yeah. If you can't bend a 13 and you need a bend, get a gauge that can bend. Right. I suppose is a good way of saying so, it. 
or yeah. put a guitar together that can do it. That too. Yeah. Or you get know. somebody else to play it. But that's my thought on that. Well, there um, it is. There it is. So um, on that note, anything else that you want to add? I think we kind of covered all the things that I thought we should talk about. Uh, no. We should probably maybe put up a few things on the site with some audio examples of different yeah, we, miking we techniques. we can throw up a couple point. of different audio examples of, of what certain mic setups can sound like as little examples. Maybe yeah. give a two-minute Tuesday tip for that as well. There we go. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. All right, Jody. So thank you for listening, everybody. And for listening, thank you to you, Jody, for listening to me ramble here. <laughs> I'm listening and I'm just going <laughs> to spew right back at you. Yeah. All right, buddy. Uh, let's call it an episode and we'll be back uh, with another one shortly. Yeah, I believe the next episode we're going to be talking about bass. Ooh, more boss. stringed instruments. Or is, 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 is that a type of fish or is that a bass? Things that we yes. discuss on the next episode. That's right. So, sayonara to everyone out there in inside this recording studio land. See you next time.